Welcome, everybody. My name is Mikhail Nasrani, and this is Islam for Christians, Episode 9, Talking About Terrorism. This episode is an acknowledgement that for many Westerners, and that includes Christians, most of what is known about Islam is filtered through the lens of terrorism and extremism. I don't like it, and I know Muslims freaking hate it, but I, I don't think ignoring that perception is helpful either. As you learn more about Islam, violent extremism will creep further and further into obscurity, further and further to the back of your mind. Trust me. But at the beginning, when someone is first introduced to Islam, it's right there, front and center. You don't have to like it, but it's a reality. So what's up with these Islamic terrorists? Are they right about Islam? Or is Islam really a religion of peace? These are the most frequent questions I hear from friends, relatives, and pretty much anyone who finds out about my educational background. I certainly heard it often at the seminary back in the day, mainly because I was the only one around who was studying anything close to that topic. And it's a great question, honestly. Uh, possibly more relevant five years ago than it is now, but it's still something people are curious about. And as frustrating as it is, I've never had a definitive answer. I have a personal opinion based on more than a preponderance of Islam, to borrow a legal term, than actual proof texts or anything concrete. But uh, I'll get to that opinion in a minute. The PC answer is no. Islam is a religion of peace, full stop. Like most PC answers, it's overly simplistic and wholly unhelpful. But there is some truth in it. The Quran says, over and over, don't be the aggressor. Granted, this seemed to go out the window when the caliphs expanded the empire, but in the time of Quranic revelations, Muslims were told time and time again not to go further than necessary to correct injustice. This includes war. There are a few Quranic verses that back them up, but I have to caution you right here. Be aware of so-called proof texts. The Quran and the example of Muhammad, in their entirety and in their spirit, are far more important than any single verse. More on that later. But the most common peace verses are 1733. And slay not the life which Allah hath forbidden, save with right. Whoso is slain wrongfully, we have given power unto his heir, but let him not commit excess in slaying. Lo, he will be helped. So basically, this outlaws unlawful killing, but allows retribution for the purposes of justice but not in excess, very similar to the eye for an eye thing from the Old Testament. Then it also notes that God will exact justice in the hereafter and contains the familiar Quranic value of moderation. Now the next one is a bit more famous, 532. For that cause we decreed for the children of Israel that whoever killeth a human being for other than manslaughter or corruption in the earth, it shall be as if he had killed all mankind and whoso saveth the life of one, it shall be as if he had saved the life of all mankind. Our messengers came unto them of old with clear proofs of Allah's sovereignty, but afterwards, lo, many of them, many of them became prodigals in the earth. The message here is clear. Every life matters. There is not any individual who is without consequence in the eyes of God, and it equates an individual life to humanity itself. This passage immediately follows a mention of Cain and Abel, so the clear message here is the serious crime of murder. 
On the other end of the spectrum, people will cite verses like 533, which directly follows the peace passage I just read. The only reward of those who make war upon Allah and his messenger and strive after corruption in the land will be that they will be killed or crucified or have their hands and feet on alternate sides cut off or will be expelled out of the land. Such will be their degradation in the world and in the hereafter, theirs will be an awful doom. But that is followed by this. Save those who repent before ye overpower them for know that Allah is forgiving merciful. Most Quranic verses that might encourage extreme behavior are often followed by things like that. I call them disclaimers of moderation, and the Quran is littered with them. And if you read on through verse 40, it starts to sound an awful lot like the previous verses were being used figuratively, and that they refer to God's vengeance on the day of judgment. So, can you see the problem with proof texts? They are always selectively cut off or oversimplified. On the basis of proof text, the Quran is a wash. You can use it to justify just about anything, particularly if you're thinking backwards. That is actually true of most religious texts. Thinking backwards is starting with a conclusion and then reaching back for the justification. You see it a lot in our country with Christianity as well. Both liberals and conservatives will take the political party line on something then work backwards to claim it's Christian, and often convincingly so. But it's not a Christian thought. It's a liberal or a conservative thought, sprinkled with Christianity, and baked for half the recommended time. Muslims and their defenders, or critics, are not immune to this either. And unfortunately, it's almost the entirety of online discourse on this subject. Just a rule of thumb from a guy who has studied many religions— the truthful answer to just about any question lies between yes and no. After all, if it was simple and obvious, it would simply be a fact, like the sky is blue or the earth is round. So you want to know the truth about Islam? Listen to someone you trust. And if that's not available, you have to put the work in. That's what I did. Binge listen the Quran. Do it a few times. Get an audio version and just binge as much as you can within a week. This works for the Bible too, actually. The point is you'll start to notice patterns that you never did before, no matter how many times you've read the Bible or studied it or heard it on Sunday. On the Christian side, binge listening gave me a new sympathy for the Pharisees, who were traumatized by what they thought were God's punishments for straying from the law. I completely understand their hesitancy to embrace Jesus' message. Yes, they were wrong. I'm a Christian, so of course I thought they were wrong. But for the sincere Pharisees, I don't mean the ones Jesus criticized, who were more interested in their positions and honor and all that than they were in God. I totally understand why they were so cautious. And without binging, I would have never understood that. Binging allows you to see longer arcs, more deeply ingrained patterns, things that give you a new understanding. With the Quran, that was when I realized that the gospel is actually indispensable to the Quran. You probably won't hear this anywhere else, but I believe it's true. The Quran's frustration with people who didn't get it seemed to stem from uh, the fact that the Quran is often speaking to people who lack the basic values that a reading of the gospel would have instilled. And with good reason. 
These people were Arab pagans just a few years ago with a disgusting value system. It's almost like the Quran is saying, look, I know most of you savages are going to misinterpret this. So to be clear, don't be a moron and don't extrapolate crazy things from these words. And the pattern repeats over and over. Quranic phrases need to be understood within this context. Okay, so this is my podcast. You probably want my opinion. Does Islam justify terrorism and the killing of infidels? In my opinion, no. I think the terrorists are wrong, and not just in terms of contemporary morality or anything personal or Western values or any of that. I think they're Islamically wrong. For one, it's against the spirit of the Quran. I'm not citing proof texts here. Like I said, I hate that. One text is basically meaningless when compared to the entirety of the Quran. And the Quran is always telling people not to be aggressors, not to transgress, not to murder, and so on. Just because you get cute and try to skate by on a technicality does not make you innocent on Judgment Day. God is not a judge in an American courtroom. He's a cosmic authority, and he's not going to let a clever lawyer get you off just because your nihilistic bloodlust is coked in Islamic phrasing. Secondly, remember the example of the prophet. Be honest, can you imagine Muhammad flying planes into buildings and killing civilians who have no damn idea there is even a war on? Can you imagine anyone from the early community strapping a bomb to his chest and killing innocent people? It's out of character, and it baffles me they can't see that asymmetry. What did the first Muslims ever ride into a town and kill every person in it, and take hostages and torture them? I'm 100% certain that, if Muhammad was really the messenger of God, and Islam is the one true religion, there are a ton of so-called Muslims riding a bullet train to hell. But at the same time, it's a mistake to just dismiss groups like Al-Qaeda and Islamic State as modern aberrations with no connections at all to Islam. It's not very PC to point this out, but violent sects are as old as Islam itself, and it's how three of the first four caliphs were assassinated. Just a small word about religious extremists here. I don't object to extremists on principle. For any movement, the extremists provide energy and remind the more casual members that this is a religion and not a hobby. When it comes to Christianity, some of the so-called fringe groups, I think, actually play a critical role in reminding Christians where they came from and where they should be going. In the Islamic context, extremists can take many forms. It could be someone taking a hard line on beards or other clothing, rightly noting that Islam is a system of orthopraxy, just correct action, no matter how trivial that is. But in Islam, extremism usually references violent extremism. And that was present almost from the start. Dating to the beginning of post-Muhammad Islam, I introduce to you the Kharijites. Yes, the Kharijites. Apologies for the poor pronunciation to any Arabs out there. They were Islam's first zealots, the people who assassinated Ali. Why? They hated Ali because he didn't hate the person they hated quite hard enough. Ali showed reason and negotiated with Muawiyah, whom they had declared to be an apostate, rather than rushing blindly into battle. This made Ali an apostate, a non-Muslim, in their eyes, because he didn't fight the other apostate. 
So the Kharijites ended up hating Ali more than the person they originally hated the most. And what did they get for killing Ali? The caliphate went to the person they had originally declared an apostate and wanted Ali to destroy, Muawiyah. They drew a moronic false equivalence between Ali and Muawiyah. And the strangest thing is I think they were okay with that. If this stupidity seems familiar, it's pretty much the same philosophy as Al-Qaeda. Osama bin Laden did not invent the idea that you could declare anyone an apostate if they happen to disagree with you. It's a tradition dating back to the Kharijites. The Islamic penalty for apostasy is death. And if you believe that anyone who strays from your interpretation of Islam is an apostate, there are a ton of people to kill. This kill list usually includes about 99% of Muslims. Ali was even killed in a mosque, something which never seemed to stop the Kharijites and their spiritual children. An example from modern times, a group of modern-day Kharijites stormed the Grand Mosque in Mecca in 1979, trying to take down the Saudi government. Violence in the Islamic holiest of holies is strictly forbidden, but it never dawned on this group of morons that breaking Islamic law is a ridiculous way to restore Islamic purity. That mosque had just been renovated by a guy named Bin Laden, by the way. You may have also heard that the ultimate goal of Al-Qaeda was to restore the caliphate. They would state this without a bit of shame or irony, completely unaware that it was people like them who killed the religious caliphate in the first place. They killed Ali, the last of the rightly guided caliphs. Without their stupidity, the semi-Islamic hereditary dynasty that followed would have never happened. Or if there was a hereditary dynasty, it would have been the family of Muhammad, pious men like Ali's sons, Hassan and Hussein. Instead, they were martyred, killed by the people the Kharijites moronically elevated to power. That doesn't mean violence is always impermissible, though. There are some recent wars in the Islamic world I could see Muhammad supporting. The Afghanistan war against the Soviets, for example. That was a pretty clear case of a defensive war against a bunch of atheists who wanted to purge the people of their religion. Then there was Iran in the Iran-Iraq war. The Iraqis invaded for no good reason. The Iranians fought them off. That was also a case of religious versus secular. Should the Uyghurs in China ever rise up, that's definitely something Muhammad would have supported. But people like bin Laden and the ISIS crew simply don't wait for good causes. They want to fight now. And if you don't have any good enemies, you just invent one. Or many. And unfortunately, there are people like that everywhere. Right now, there are bands of wild-eyed so-called Christians in the southern Philippines killing Muslims for no good reason. It happens. And while they are technically Christians, no church on earth would ever condone such a thing. Like with Al-Qaeda, religion is the cart. Bloodlust is the horse. And that's not religion. It's just nihilistic violence. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah.
Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.